Amen. You may be seated this morning. It's good to see you. It's good to see all of you out in the coffee shop that are there. Welcome. Kids' classes are full. And what a blessing that we're able to gather, especially as it has been challenging for us in 2020. And uh, But the church is still alive, amen? And we're able to meet. I, I pray that we come with hearts that are full of gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord for his incredible mercy and grace and that we're able to gather together as God's people. May we never take that for granted. So I'm so glad you're here. You've made the effort to be here. I also want to welcome all those who are online who are listening. We want to welcome you as well as you have joined us. The technology is wonderful for us to be connected as people not only here in the Greeley area, but people from all over the country listen to us online. And we're very blessed because of that. Um, A couple quick things. We are going to continue in our journey through Matthew's gospel. So as you have Bible in hand, you can turn to chapter 13 of Matthew. And as you turn there, we'll pick it up at verse 24. I just like to hear the turning the pages of the Bible. You know, in a lot of churches, you don't hear that. But we'll be in Matthew's couple quick announcements. Number one is make sure that you check out the bookstore as uh, maybe perhaps there's something in there that uh, would be a blessing for somebody for Christmas. We got great books, uh, apologetic books, uh, books on marriage, family, raising kids, commentaries, Bibles at cost. We don't make any money on our bookstore. We just It's a ministry to where we sell everything at cost and we just... Um, Keep the inventory up, so make sure that you uh, go in the bookstore and there's Bibles that cost. Um, you're going to be able to find some good resources there and commentaries as well. And I always encourage you, get a good commentary as you have your devotions that will help you along as you study God's Word. So be sure to check it out. It's open after the service. Also, um, look at our e-bulletin for the latest um, you know, things and schedule that are taking place here at Calvary. We update it every week. It's on our website. Also, you can get it email, and uh, it goes out every Thursday. And then also, as we're getting closer, what, three weeks to Christmas, a little under three weeks um, to Christmas, I know you're wondering what we're going to do for Christmas Eve services. And we're just kind of seeking the Lord as we get closer and and we know the routine, how it is that they don't want us to gather in large groups and stuff. And, but we're going to gather, okay? And we're trying to balance between giving preference to one another and then also don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together. So we're really praying about how we do this. Are we going to pack this sanctuary, three or four services with kids and everything? Or one of the options that we were thinking of, because this year has been... The theme change, right? Adapt, patience, endurance. Any other words? <laughs> and um, but you know, God's been good. We met outside in the summertime, and it was great to have the outdoor services, even though it was warm and ash was falling on us, and and all of that. But um, many of you said you were just tremendously blessed that, that we were able to do the backyard service and everything. So one of the options that we're thinking of is doing outside in the backyard at noon on Christmas Eve 
to where we come and you can invite your friends and we can spread out and sing some Christmas songs and then I do a teaching. And usually Christmas Eve services are shorter anyway because we have family services and the kids are anxious and, and 45, 50 minutes is about all they can handle. Um, they're excited, want to go home and open presents and all of that. So we're thinking about doing that, but we will let you know next week what we're going to do for sure. Will you please pray for us? But we are going to meet. And then I do my New Year's Eve prophecy update. That's something that people come from all over. Uh, last year we had people from Colorado Springs come up and uh, from Denver, Aurora, those places. And we packed this place out to where we almost have to set people on the, the platform here. We can't do that this year. So we'll probably do an, well, I guess we could do it this year. <laughs> but we're not going to do it this year. And um, at least I don't think so. And so I'll be doing a New Year's Eve prophecy update. We'll be putting that online. Sunday mornings, we're going to stay the course. All right? We're going to stay the course. And we're going to keep moving forward. And uh, you guys are coming out. And uh, it's wonderful to see the three services that people are coming and kids are coming. And we're meeting during the week, you know, with the youth. Um, and we're going to continue to do that through December into the new year. All right? So just pray for us. And we'll let you know what we're going to do for um, Christmas Eve. And we are going to meet. Um, we are going to do something. And it's going to be wonderful. We're just going to worship and, and celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The kids uh, this week and then, of course, the next two weeks, are going to be doing some special activities for Christmas uh, in the children's ministry. So it's good to see you bring them out. And then also young adults are going to meet uh, this Friday, 7 o'clock, uh, college-age students. A lot of them have been coming out. Um, and uh, it's been wonderful to see. They'll meet on the 11th, which is this Friday, I believe. And then they're going to take a break for Christmas, and they'll be back. And we'll get, you know, back after the first of the year. We'll, you know, about men's studies, lady studies, things like that. The youth are going to be meeting Saturday uh, at 6 o'clock to 8.30, the high schoolers. So parents uh, just want to remind you of that. Other than that, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would just bless this time in the study of your word as we continue in Matthew's gospel. And I pray that our hearts would be teachable right now. I thank you that we can be here to take in the written word of God, inspired, God-breathed, put to the page. And it is truth, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that we may be wise and safe and secure in the world in which we're living in because we are taking something which is alive and planted it in our hearts. So, Lord, teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were with us last week, we opened up chapter 13 of Matthew. And Jesus was in the house, probably in Capernaum. He goes to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and then the multitudes gather around him. Keep in mind that at this time, the multitudes are still great, is what the gospel writers use that term. So he gets in a boat. He rows out a little bit. He uses the water to amplify his voice, and he began to teach the people. Matter of fact, chapter 13 here, verse 3 tells us that he spoke to them in parables. And we know that as we go through this chapter, there are seven parables that are told to us. We, we saw the first one, the parable of the sower who went out to sow seeds. To remind you what a parable is, that Jesus, they're, they're short little stories that the people could understand. 
But these stories, and they could understand a sower going out and sowing seed because it was a very fertile area. Still is today. They can picture a farmer sowing seed on the ground in different types of soil. And they could understand the story. They didn't always understand the meaning. But in these stories, para means alongside of. They are earthly stories alongside of a spiritual truth. So they are very important for you and for me. Uh, to as we study these parables um, to you and I who desire to know and understand spiritual truth to to look at these parables and as we do that it's a tremendous blessing so as the first parable was told last week the parable the sower a sower went out to sow seeds on different kinds of ground the hard ground where the seed fell and couldn't permeate and couldn't uh, penetrate the ground so the birds came and took it away and then there was the seed that fell upon the stony ground and the plant began to grow but the root system was shallow and when the sun came out the plant withered away then he said that there's sower that sowed among the ground and the plant came up but then the thorns came out and choked out the plant and then there's the good soil that produced the crop a fruit 30 60 100 fold and Jesus would explain that parable to us that the seed is the word of God that is planted in different types of soil that is the condition of our hearts there are people who hear the word but their hearts are hard towards the word and the enemy he said comes along takes it away and then there's the stony heart and the seed is planted there the word and it begins to grow but then the trials and tribulations the heat of the sun as Jesus would say in the story would come out because the shallowness of the roots the plant would wither away and I want to remind us again that it's important for us that we get the word of God the seed of the word planted deeply within our hearts because the trials and tribulations will come right we've experienced it I think all of us this year to some degree to to some measure and then there is the the plant that grew on the soil that then the thorns came out and and Jesus as he explained that parable said the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life and every single one of us have cares of life we have jobs we have kids that we're raising we have responsibilities we have things that we need to do but what can happen is the cares of life begin to choke the spiritual life out of us just as as thorns did to the plant but we want to have that good soil the seed is planted there and, and it takes root there and it produces fruit unto god in our lives and that's what the bible tells us you see in mark's gospel after he told of the parable of the sower he would go on to to tell the parable of the growing seed he would say that the kingdom of god is if a man would scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and this seed should sprout and grow and he himself does not know how for the earth yields crops by itself first the blade then the head after the full grain in the head but when the grain ripens immediately he puts the sickle in because the harvest has come and what the lord is saying in that parable which i think is an important reminder for us as we're going through the parable of the sower and the wheat and the tares talking about sowing and all of that there's a very important truth that is given to us in that parable in mark chapter four and that is that the word of god being planted in your heart as you have personal devotions, and I pray that you do, read your Bible every day. 
as you come here on Sunday mornings and we're taking in the Word of God and Wednesday night as, as we have Wednesday night online services. We just finished Jeremiah. Uh, we're in Lamentations and we'll go into the book of Ezekiel as we go over the Word and as you're hearing the Word, the seed is being sown and the seed is being planted and the Word has an effect on your life. You can't always see it immediately. But there is growth that has taken place. In Mark's narrative, Jesus says the seed is planted. The farmer goes to bed. He gets up. Day by day he does that. And over time he sees the corn grow. First there's the blade. And then there's the stalk. And then there's the ear. And then there's the full corn. And we see that, don't we? Every summer here in Greeley with the cornfields around us. And the same is true. Listen. As the word of God is being sown into your heart, gradually you will see your life being transformed and changed by the power of the word of God. It is the gospel, the power to save a man's life. There is power in the word of God because it is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The glorious power of God's word changing a person's life. For if you sow the spirit of the spirit, you're going to reap. But what can happen, and I've seen this happen, that we can get restless. People begin, Christians that get impatient, and they want to see the fruit immediately. They want to see the full ear of corn right away. Uh, they want to see, you know, instant growth and full maturity, but realize that we need to be patient, and it takes time. Just like the corn stalk takes time to grow. The farmer doesn't know exactly how it is done, but he does know that over time there will be a crop a maturity of the plant. And the same thing is true spiritually. Listen, there's no other shortcut to growing spiritually than to be taken in the Word of God over time. And there is growth that takes place. And we can look back and we can say, wow, Lord, you are growing me because my heart is changing and my heart is softening. And you have the answers for me in every area of my life. And I can walk in wisdom and I can walk in the light. And, and there's safety and security and strength and comfort and knowing the word of God. That's the beauty and the value of God's word being sown in our hearts. And it happens gradually as you grow in truth and you begin to get excited and you begin to be strong spiritually, just developing and changing, growing, and it's wonderful. You see the fruit that comes forth from your life when you realize that God's word has had an effect, a life-changing effect on us. It's not struggling not laboring and uh, not trying so hard in your own energy and flesh. It's not working harder, but it's taken in. We drive by the cornfields. We don't hear the cornstalk straining as it's growing in the fields. You don't go, those of you who have a fruit tree in your backyard, we had a, a, a fruit tree in our backyard for years and years, plums, and produced plums. I never once went back in the backyard in the summertime and heard the tree straining to produce fruit. As long as the branch was abiding in the trunk, then over time, very naturally, the tree, tree began to produce fruit. And it's the same with us spiritually. Continue to abide in Christ. Continue to take in the word. We need the word more than ever in the days in which we're living in. And as we do that and just yield it and teachable and humble before the Lord, we are going to produce fruit. It's a beautiful work of the spirit of God in our lives.
So back to our text, as I mentioned, here in this chapter, there's seven parables in chapter 13. The next six are called the kingdom parables because Jesus will begin the parable by saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Also, Jesus does not explain all the parables that we read in this chapter, two of them that he does. So he's speaking to the multitudes right now. He's, we're going to read the parable of the wheat and the tares. He will also explain to the multitudes, he's speaking to them from the boat, that he explains to them the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. We will look at that. Then he will go back into the house there where he came out of. The disciples will come to him. He will explain the parable of the wheat and the tares. That's the second parable he explains. And then he will tell a couple other parables that we will see later on this month as we continue through the chapter. But let's pick it up at verse 24 of Matthew 13, that another parable or another the same kind he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced the crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field. How then does it have tares? In verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. And then verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So Jesus continuing this analogy of sowing seeds, this time with a different twist. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, a farmer goes out and he plants a field of wheat. Then the enemy of the farmer comes out at night and he sowed some tares with the wheat. Now, when the seeds began to germinate and grow, they noticed that, hey, there's some bad seed, uh, tares that have been sown in with the good seed, that is the wheat. The tares did not produce Grain. They, they grew with the wheat. They ended up taking up space. They soak up the water, the nutrients, space in the soil, and they produce nothing. So the servants come along and say to the master, should we pull out those tares? You know, and the owner said, no, wait until harvest time because you'll do damage to the wheat. Those of us, for example, that, that plant Gardens, Isn't it frustrating when you got weeds and they're right next to the plant there and you got to be careful because you pull it up. You can also pull up that tomato plant or that pepper plant or whatever it might be. So we're going to wait till the harvest. We'll gather, we'll bundle up the tares. They'll be burned and then the wheat put into the barn. He's going to explain the parable in verse 36 through 43, that's later. But first, he's still in a boat. Remember, he's speaking to the multitude, and he gives another parable to them, as we read in verse 31. And another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its 
its branches. As we look at this parable, uh, Jesus, uh, in his day, there's many people that had herb gardens. They would grow, uh, you know, rosemary, mustard plants, uh, mints of different kind. And the mustard seed was the smallest of the seeds that the people would plant in those, those herb gardens that they had. So Jesus here, talking about a mustard seed that germinate, and as it germinated, it grew into a tree. It's, it's sprouting out branches, woody branches, that was large enough so that the birds of the air came and nested in its branches. So some have suggested that this parable shows that the kingdom of God is going to start out small, then it grows beautifully, and then all of us in the kingdom, we're all going to come together. And I've heard Bible teachers that will interpret the birds as different denominations. You have the Baptist birds. You have the Methodist birds. You have the Lutheran birds. You have the Calvary birds. And we all come together and roast, you know, not roast, but uh, we come together. Roost together, that's what I'm trying to say. And come together in this beautiful tree that is the church at large. Well, there's a couple problems with that exact interpretation. First of all, botanists will tell you that mustard plants don't grow into trees to where it can support birds. Matter of fact, if you go to Israel with us on our, our uh, study tours, that when we go in the springtime, and we've gone in the spring, we've gone in the fall, but particularly in the spring, up in the Galilee region, you see these mustard plants that are growing all over the place, and they're about four or five feet high, but they're not woody shrubs or branches that can support birds, not by the least bit. So Jesus is talking about a mustard seed with unnatural growth. Second of all, as we look at the parables, again, two are explained to us. And as we look at those parables being explained to us, it will help us interpret what the other parables are being told to us in this chapter and in the gospel narratives. It helps us to have spiritual truth that is given to us as we look at these earthly stories. We can understand the story, but we also want to know the spiritual truth that is behind it. And the way to do that is what I mentioned last week, what is called expositional consistency. That is, you have to be consistent with the symbolism that is used throughout the parables. In other words, you let Scripture interpret Scripture. So in the parable of the sower, the birds were what? The evil one that came and snatched away the seed. And, and we are going to see in the parable of the wheat and the tares explained to us that the field is the world. Keep that in mind as we will continue as he talks about uh, a man who sold everything and he in a field found a treasure and he bought the field. So keep those things in mind as we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Now, like for the book of Revelation, for example, we see a lot of people say that we can't understand the book of Revelation. Yes, you can. There's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of references of the Old Testament. And that's why it's important that we understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I got this booklet this week that somebody sent to me that they wrote. And it was just full of verses, the book of Revelation, and I was looking at it. I don't know who this person is, but they felt like they needed to send me one. And, for example, Revelation chapter 12, where it talks about the woman and uh, the sun and uh, the moon and the stars. And they said, well, that's the United States, and that's the interpretation. I'm thinking, where did you get this interpretation? 
Hermeneutics is, is the study is, uh, of scriptures. We interpret scripture. Where did you get that? Because you didn't get that from the scripture. But as we read Revelation chapter 12, and I've heard all kinds of, of strange interpretations of that, that even a couple years ago, I believe either last year or the year before, I can't keep track of it, that there was a big thing on the Internet, and Christians were calling me. They were calling me on the radio. They were saying, is it going to be a fulfillment of Revelation chapter 12? It's like, no, keep everything in context. It's speaking about the nation of Israel. Go to Genesis chapter 37. What do you read there? Joseph has a dream. And the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, right, that bowed down to him. The patriarchs to the 12 tribes of Israel were the sons of Jacob. And the woman who gave birth to the child, and that child would rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's Psalm chapter 2. And some people say, that's the church. No. Church didn't give birth to, to, to the Messiah. From the Messiah was birthed the church. But the woman is Israel. So it's very clear in how the Antichrist is going to persecute Israel in the tribulation period. The dragon's going to go after her. She's going to go in the wilderness, a study for another time. Revelation chapter 13. The ten horns that are mentioned there, the beast that came out of. You can go to Daniel chapter 7. Oh, yeah, that rings a bell. It reminds me of Daniel's vision, uh, the first vision of four that he had in the book of Daniel. And there was the fourth beast with the ten horns and a little horn came out of it. You may be thinking, what are you talking about? Well, go through our Daniel study. Matter of fact, when we're done with Matthew, we're going to go through the book of Daniel because it is the forerunner to the book of Revelation. You can understand as you let Scripture interpret Scripture, you don't have to come up with all these strange interpretations. So back to our text. You recall the parable of the sower, that the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and took away the seed, right? Jesus said that the birds are the wicked ones, Satan, evil, the enemy. So Jesus telling us of a mustard seed that grows abnormally, <clears throat> then evil comes in, rests in its branches. So I believe what Jesus is referring to, that as the kingdom grows, that evil will come in and rest in its branches. And certainly that has happened throughout church history. You look at church history, it isn't all good. And for 2,000 years, we have seen that there has been false teachers and doctrines and Christ and messiahs that have come into the church. Sometimes people will say to me, boy, I wish we were like the first century church. Yeah, there was power in the first century church. There was miracles that were being done, and I believe God still does miracles today. But there was a lot of problems as well. And a lot of the epistles that you read deal with the problems that have come in. Gnosticism, John's writing about false apostles and prophets that would be considered themselves as eminent apostles and prophets. Jesus said they're false teachers. They're, they're workers of iniquity and of Satan who can transform himself into an angel of light, Second Corinthians. There was division that was going on. There was all kinds of difficulty in the warning given to us about false teachers that would come on the scene and leaders and messiahs. And Jesus warned against it. Jesus tells of the parable of the leaven, verse 33. <clears throat> Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. Now the leaven is used 98 times in scripture and consistently it speaks of sin, it speaks of evil, carnality. Jesus would say to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
he would also liken it to false teaching and worldly compromise. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he uses leaven as a picture of sin and carnality, and he also refers to it as a picture of false doctrine. In the Old Testament, we see that leaven, you had the feast of Passover and then the week of unleavened bread, and the, the God's people would go through their houses and they would take all the leaven out of their houses. And we think, well, what has that got to do with me? Get all the leaven out of your house. Is there anything there? Anything there that will cause you to sin and carnal out that you're watching? That you have in the cabinet? That you have hidden in the drawer? Get the leaven out of your home. And that's what it was symbolic of. That's what we can learn from. So they excluded it from the sacrifices. You and I are to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord that we may know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So the scripture tells us that sin is like leaven. It quietly grows, it corrupts, it puffs up. Paul told the Christians, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So purge out the leaven. So again, in contrast, there are those who will say, well, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven and the ability to spread in the whole loaf and the church starts out small and we're will permeate the whole world. And there's even movements in the church as we see today that have that kind of thinking, that, that say, hey, you know what? The church is going to be powerful and we're going to grow and take over the world. The new apostolic reformation that is very popular, particularly around with young people, that the church is going to have super apostles and prophets and they're going to move with great power and there's going to be mighty miracles. Like I said, I believe God still works miracles today. But we're going to grow and grow in power to where we're going to take over the world. And then we're going to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's nothing new about it. Old manifested sons of God. Kingdom now theology that's been around for, for decades. People are buying into it. You know what the Bible says? John says, you test the spirits to see if they are of God, because many false teachers have gone out into the world. The Bible says that's not going to happen. Jesus said there's going to be tribulations such as the world has never seen or will see again. That is yet future. He said that if he had not returned in the second coming, that man would destroy himself. Paul would write to Timothy that in the last days there's going to be a falling away of the truth. The time will come, not that it might come, that it will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine according to their own desires because they have itchy ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You be watchful in all things. Paul would say in the last days it's going to be perilous times. There are those always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In the latter times, he also wrote to Timothy in his first letter to him. He said in the latter times that there's going to be those given over to doctrines of demons. Now, I know that the church has an effect on the world. Absolutely it does. Can you imagine what our community would be like, our state, our nation, the world would be like if we didn't have any Christians? You think it's bad now? It would be horrible. And Paul actually writes about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, he who restrains will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will come. Lawlessness will begin to fill the world. 
When the church is taken out in the rapture of the church, lawlessness is going to fill this earth, and this one who is called the man of sin will come on the scene. And he's going to come on the scene and listen. He's going to try to take over the world. He's going to proclaim himself as God in the temple of God to be worshipped as God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's what we're going to be looking at when we do our prophecy update. Listen, the things that are unfolding around us today speak of the culmination of things that are going to come. And you and I need to be wise in the days in which we are living in. The apostles, Jesus himself, warned in the last days there's going to be an increase of deception and that which is false. When they asked him in the Olivet Discourse that when's this, you know, coming, you're coming again, when's this temple going to be destroyed, what are the signs? The very first thing that he said was that there is going to be false apostles and prophets that are going to rise up. Don't be deceived. The very first sign that he said. It has happened through church age. And we're seeing it continue. You see, it's much more than just somebody who knocks on your door and says, I got a Watchtower magazine for you. Or a couple guys that ride up on their bikes with ties and says, we got another gospel, the Book of Mormon. It is much more than that today. They'll hit you up in Walmart. They'll hit you up in Starbucks. They'll say, listen, we want to tell you about Mother God. And they will use scripture and they will be very aggressive and they'll confuse you. And you've heard me say this before, but I will not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you be established in them. Just as it was Peter that said to the Christians that if you are not grounded in God's word today, you will get deceived. There's too much deception that is out there. <clears throat> and that's why I'm parking on this a little bit. And I have a, you know, passion and a commitment to you that I'm going to give you the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. To the best that the Lord enables me to do, to make sure you're the best fed, best loved sheep in Greeley, in Weld County. And be committed to the teaching of the word of God. Because if we are not, we're going to wither under the tribulations. If we are not, we're not going to walk in wisdom. And there's too many voices that are out there. There's too many Christians that are getting caught up in just weird stuff. And stuff that is not biblical. And I know I'm being a little heavy on this, but it concerns me. The whole progressive theology movement that we're seeing in the church today. That, you know, we're all going to end up in bliss and the cross is offensive and we just love one another and that's what makes you a Christian. And those are the things that we need to be careful of. To check it out with the word of God. And I will not apologize for the truth of God's word. And to stand on the gospel and listen more than ever as we find ourselves in this difficult time and perilous times, you know, we look around. I get concerned like you do. I get upset like you do. I get concerned for our nation, for our state. Of course I do. But I know that it's not just things falling apart, but things are falling into place. And things are happening, just as the Bible said, and I have... A, a desire to make sure that we are discerning of the days in which we are living in. And the Bible gives us that. To be the wise servant that is looking and watching and serving and looking for the master's return. 
keep coming. And may this be a place where we're growing together, that we're caring for one another, that we pray for one another, that we build each other up. I want to do that for you, and I need that from you, for me and my family, for us to really love one another and care for one another, because have you noticed that the world is really brutal out there and mean, and the enemy wants nothing more than to isolate you. He wants nothing more than to isolate you. And then if he can get you isolated, he'll beat you up. He will beat you up and try to do you in. But as we come together in the days in which we're in, it is imperative that we do that. Whether it's online, whether it's here as we meet, we're going to get through this pandemic. You know, God is still working. Do you know that? I had a young lady come up to me first service and she said, and she told me how she got saved here last week. Somebody who never heard the gospel before, never read her Bible before. A couple of weeks before that, another young lady, after third service, came up. She had tears in her eyes. She said, I need Jesus, Pastor Jeff. I want to give my life. She almost sat out in the car because she felt like she wasn't worthy enough to come in. But she came. People are hurting and they're wondering and they're struggling. There's a harvest out there. And I'm going to stay focused on the gospel and on the word of God. And as long as I got breath, because I'll tell you what, there's been times where I felt like, Lord, I don't know. I want to quit running this race and fighting the good fight because I am tired. I am tired. But the Lord has said, you're here for such a time as this, and so are you, because I know you're tired as well. And we got to keep fighting. Keep running your race. Keep the faith. God has us here for such a time as this. And he wants to work because the harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. The trumpet's going to blow and he's going to take us home. He's going to take us home. In the meantime, we need to be together as a family in the body of Christ to be here as a hospital for those who are hurting to know truth. Keep in the word, folks. Keep strong in the word. Joshua, be strong, good courage, meditate on the word of God, and you'll be successful in the best sense of the word. You'll be strong in him. You'll be established. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these important reminders that are given to us. Lord, I thank you that we can gather in this place and hear your word and be encouraged and blessed in every way. I thank you for those who come out. The church is alive. It's not dead. You're still on the throne. You haven't abandoned us. There's a marvelous plan ahead of us. And I thank you that we can come to a place where we can be reminded of your truth, of the gospel, to be loved, to be prayed for, to be comforted, 
We never want to lose that and to be established in your word. Father, I know that there are those who are here that are hurting, and I just pray for your comfort upon them who have need, who have those who are sick. I want to pray for Don, who's up in ICU right now, now not only battling COVID, but pneumonia. We pray for your healing touch upon him. You know who he is, where he is right now. We pray for those who have family members and loved ones battling COVID, but also sickness, challenges that we face, tribulations, economically, relationally, just emotionally, in all different areas. Lord, we pray for your healing touch. We pray for your working. And you would remind us that you care for us and we can cast our cares upon you. And I also want to pray for anyone who's here or listening that you've never given your life to Jesus. He loves you. And he says, come to me. I died for you. And as he hung on that cross, he was thinking about you. He knew all about you, that you would be here on this first Sunday in December 2020 says that I am your forgiveness. I died on the cross for your sins. And he cried out, it is finished. And he was put into a grave and he rose again. And he is your salvation. He is the one who made atonement for your sin. He's the one that brings you into right relationship with the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. And he says, come. Call on the name of the Lord. Will you do that right now? Today is the day of salvation. Don't pass it up. If you're not right with God, because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us, and you can pray sincerely in your heart, I come to you, Jesus, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I turn to you because I'm a sinner. But you died for my sins. Forgive me. And I believe you're alive, and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to be a part of this eternal family. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I want to know you in your love and your word. Thank you for bringing me here. Thank you for saving me and forgiving me in Jesus' name. And for all of us as we leave this place, may we be light. We are a restraining factor. Bring light to the darkness. Bring truth to the confusion. And Lord, bring comfort to the afflicted. Use us in these days we are in. Lord, bless everyone as we go our way. Continue your mercy and grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good.